we're beginning a new series of sermons today where we're going to go through the letter to the Philippians. And if you have your Bible, please, please find this short letter. If you need to, just use the table of contents. It's toward the back. It's pretty little, so it can be hard to find. The reason we're doing this is that I'm excited for our church to listen for God's address to us through Philippians. We're going to go through it over the course of the fall, both on Sunday mornings and in our small groups. I'm excited because there's so much here that can help us as individuals and as a church to grow as Christians, as a church who live for the glory of God and for the flourishing, the good of our city. Because this is what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to live for God's glory and to love our neighbor and to labor for our community to flourish. And that's hard. It's hard to be a Christian today in the West. It's not easy to be this kind of Christian, a Christian that doesn't turn inward, a Christian that draws down on the love of God and really moves out with the love of God. It's hard to be a church that doesn't turn inward and become just some little life raft. It's hard to be a church that really is a missionary church. It's hard to be a real missionary Christian. And what we see in, in Philippians is that the theme of Philippians, the main emphasis of the letter, is that as Christians, as a church, we're supposed to be a public, a visible picture of the gospel. That our public behavior has to match up with the gospel. That when those in our city who are not Christians, when they see us and they see how we act and how we love and how we live in seeing us and watching us, they see who the true God truly is. Our job, the job of our church is to be a missionary church. Your job, my job as individuals, it is to be missionaries in this community. And so over the course of the fall, as we read and pray and listen and study Paul's letter to the Philippians, let's turn our attention to God, asking him to help us to grow in our commitment to him and to grow in our commitment to our city, asking him to help us to become a truly missionary church, a church that loves God and loves Harrisonburg. And so as we go through Philippians, let's ask us, let's ask God, please help us to learn how to be missionaries. And so let's dive right in. Philippians chapter one, verses one through two. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the typical way to begin a letter 2,000 years ago if you lived somewhere in the Greco-Roman Empire. Letters started by identifying the person who was sending the letter, the people you're sending the letter to, and then a basic greeting. So this is just basically the typical opening of a letter at that time. But if you look closely, there are these hints at the things to come later in the letter. Right off the bat, right here in the salutation, we see four characteristics of a genuinely missionary church. Notice how he identifies the church in Philippi. 
the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Some of your Bibles might say in Jesus at Philippi. It's the same preposition in Greek. I don't know why sometimes they shift them around. Maybe just to have, because their English teachers told them don't be redundant. Like that's some kind of thing or not. But anyway, what we see here is that the first characteristic of a missionary church is that they are saints in Christ Jesus. A more literal translation is God's holy ones in Jesus the Messiah. If you're a Christian, you're a missionary. And the first thing about a missionary, you and I are to be God's holy ones in Christ Jesus. Being in Jesus, this is our primary identity. More than the fact that I'm a dude, more than the fact that I'm a very good looking dude. Um, Sean's laugh was just, that was concerning. I don't think he believes it. More than the fact that I'm American, more than my political identity, more than my vocation, that I'm a pastor. The most primary identity for a Christian is that you are God's holy one in Christ Jesus. That supersedes everything else. Everything else that you hold dear, that has to come first. And I'm supposed to live a holy life, a set apart life. I'm not supposed to be exactly like everything our world teaches. The second characteristic of a missionary church is it's not only a group of people who are in Christ, it's a group of people who also are in a particular place. Notice the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. There's two fundamental realities for a missionary church. We take Jesus very seriously and we take the place we live, the actual place we live very seriously. To be a missionary church, we must love Jesus and we must love our city. We must love Harrisonburg and we must learn to ask, what does it mean to be God's holy ones in this particular city where we live? A missionary church lives more and more deeply into Jesus and engages more and more deeply into the city in which it exists. We don't retreat from the city. We don't attack the city. We don't capitulate to the city. Rather than trying to conquer our community with the gospel or leave our community because of the gospel or accommodate to the community and its values and agenda, a missionary church engages its community. It is a counterculture in the community for the good of the community. To maintain faithfulness to our distinct biblical convictions while simultaneously not attacking our neighbor, but laying our life down for our neighbor. Some of whom will ridicule and reject us because of our values. To be a missionary church, we must be willing to love those who reject us and to refuse to give in even when the whole culture says, but this is the truth. We are to be people who trust God, the God who showed us grace while we were his enemies and we follow his path of sacrificial love, knowing that it can bring both us and our neighbors into true flourishing. The, a third characteristic of a missionary church that comes up right off the bat in his opening is not only what must we be holy ones in Jesus, in Harrisonburg, notice a missionary church is not just a group of Christians who meet up at Starbucks. It is a group that is organized and it has leaders. 
Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. A missionary church must have leaders who understand and teach and model the way of life where your life matches the gospel. A missionary church isn't just some group of people who meet on a golf course and share a common belief in Jesus. Just like holiness is important for a missionary church, just like engaging the city in which you live is important for a missionary church, it's also critical that a missionary church have leaders who understand and teach and particularly model their lives in the gospel way. A fourth characteristic of a missionary church is that last is, is verse two. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is exactly what Jesus said in John 20 when he entered the room at his resurrection. And to be a missionary church is to take up the blessing of Jesus, not to hoard it, but to give it. A missionary church needs to be blessed by God because what we're trying to do is hard. It is hard to engage the city without attacking it or running from it or accommodating to it. This is the hardest place to be, and we need the blessing of God to do this. Now, in verses 4 through 8, Paul begins his letter to the Philippians by telling them that he always prays for them. He's constantly praying for them. And in this prayer, he, he gives thanks for them. And when we look at his prayer of thanksgiving, verses 4 through 8, I'm sorry, verses three through eight, we can see a few more characteristics of a missionary church. Notice verse three. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Okay, here's, here is a fifth characteristic of a missionary church. A missionary church is a group of people who are partners in the gospel. We're partners in the gospel. That word partner, in Greek, it's the word koinonia. It's typically, in the, in the time Paul was writing, it was typically a word about business. It was about people who partnered together in business to do a particular thing. And they put their money on the line. Typically, in in the New Testament, the word koinonia means a partnership that involves money. This is one of the most important words in Philippians. It comes up throughout Philippians. This idea that there is a group of people who are so committed that they, are, they have skin in the game. They've started something together. A missionary church puts their partnership for the gospel into action by using their money to plant and sustain Jesus-shaped communities, churches. If you've been around our church for very long, you know that is at the heart of who we are. The founders of Incarnation piled their money together in order to start a church in this community that would bear witness to our king. And then shortly after we started, we piled our money together and helped start a church in East Rockingham. And then we helped start an Arabic speaking congregation that meets here. And then we helped start a church in Crozet. And then we did the same in Stanton. And then we did the same in Charlottesville. Why? 
because missionary churches plant missionary churches. It's just fundamental. This is how the gospel moves forward. And, and we have a whole staff position called a curacy where we are training people to become pastors of missionary churches. A missionary church partners together to create and sustain missionary churches. A, a sixth characteristic of a missionary church is it has hope. It's not cynical. It's hopeful. We see this in verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is talking about the work of the gospel and the spirit in the life of every Christian. That transformative work of God's grace in our lives, leading us to become mature humans. Mature Christians, holy people, when God powerfully reached out to you with the gospel and you were baptized, he gave you his spirit. He marked you with his spirit. He put his spirit in your life and his spirit will transform you from the inside out. It will produce in you faith in Jesus as the risen Lord and love for your neighbor. And when God starts a thing, he finishes you might be a quitter, but read this book like a normal book and identify the nature of the primary character, God. And when you read this book in history after history, you see that against all odds in the face of all discouragement and in the midst of the most impossible challenges, God never quits. Fundamental to his character is he finishes what he starts. So when Paul looks at the headlines and it's super discouraging, the more fundamental thing for him is if I find something God started, I know it will finish because it's God who started it. Paul is talking about this work of the gospel in your life. He will transform you. He's not playing around. When God begins a work, he will take it right on through to the day of Jesus' return and he's not only talking about us as individuals and your loved ones, he's talking about the church in the world. And think about how we need to remember this when we've gorged ourselves on podcasts like the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill and so many others that make it so hard for us right now to be hopeful. It is so easy right now to be a cynic. To be a cynic in America today is to go with the flow. But it is Paul who looks in the face of all kinds of challenges, the challenges of hypocrisy and failure and everything else. And yet his fundamental story he believes is not that. It's this God in the Bible who finishes what he starts. The church will be the family. God intends it to be. It will end as a great unnumbered company of men and women from every tribe and language and tongue worshiping together as a sign to all the powers that God is God, that the world was created in love and it will end in love, that the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth like water covers the sea and the church is the way it's going to happen. It is so easy to grow discouraged. But we, the church, we are the ongoing work of God and God will complete it. And this is true for his work in your life when it feels like you can never get there. He will get you there. And it's true in the, nat in the nature of the church too. A missionary church 
think so much about this that over against the inertia of cynicism, it becomes a group of people who are joyfully confident. A seventh characteristic of a missionary church, it not only brings hope to its community, it's love. See this in verses seven through eight. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the fence and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Look, Paul is in prison. He's writing this letter from prison. It's hard to know which one of his imprisonments. I mean, it was like his spiritual gift getting thrown in jail. It's hard to know which particular experience of that he was going through at this time. I follow, I'm convinced by the group of scholars who think he's in Ephesus. And this is around 55 AD. But here's Paul and he's in prison. And you suffered when you were in prison. There was no prisoner rights movement in the Greco-Roman Empire. Um, You see, prison in their day was not punishment. It was waiting for trial. And it was where the authorities put you while they decided if they would have your trial or not. There was no law code about a speedy trial. It was whenever they were in the mood for it or they got paid off. And while you were in prison, they had several options that they could do. First of all, sometimes they could just forget about you and you just stayed there until you died. Because when you were in jail in this time, the government did not feed you or give you water. You had to have friends or family who would hazard their life by going to jail and bringing you food and water. So they could forget about you and you could die. You know, your family that's helping you stop helping you and you're just done. You could be forgotten about. Another option, if they didn't forget about you, they could give you the gift of bringing you to court. In which if they found you guilty, they had four options. Fine you, beat you, banish you, or kill you. No prison sentence. Like we're going to be done with this thing. Guilty, we're going to fine you, we're going to beat you, we're going to banish you, or we're going to kill you. So he's writing this letter from a pretty intense place. And yet he's filled with love. In the midst of that, he's like just bubbling up with love. Why? Because they love him so much. The Philippians, they're taking care of him. They're sending him money to get some food and stuff. And not just helping him survive, they're helping him extend the work of the gospel. This is a characteristic of Christians in good times and bad times. When it's really hard and when it's super easy. He brings this up later in the letter. We love because we're tapped into the source of love. Because our hero modeled a life of love. Because he gave us his own spirit, which drove him to love, that drives us to love. This is a characteristic of a missionary church. It's marked more by love than critique. It's marked more by loving engagement than by angry assault. It's love. So there it is, seven characteristics of missionary church, of being missionaries here in Harrisonburg. Now, in the next three verses, Paul stops telling them about how he does pray for them, and he stops and he actually prays for them. He prays for them because they need prayer. Because prayer and partnership are the two fundamental ways the church moves forward. We have to learn to pray. 
And so here's Paul. He's getting after it. He's praying. And when we look at him praying, we learn three things we need to pray for ourselves, for each other, and our church if we're going to pull this off and be a missionary church and be missionary Christians. The first thing, pray that you will grow in love in such a way that you can see the world as it truly is. True love leads to true knowledge. You know this. You know if somebody doesn't love you and they try to explain you to you? You know how that feels? To have somebody who doesn't like you pointing you out to yourself? But what about the person who loves you so much they've listened and they've looked and they've considered that you are not them? True love is the only way to truly know. So he says in verse 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. True love brings true knowledge and discernment. The focal point of our prayer for ourselves and for one another, if we're going to be a missionary church, must be love. This kind of love that leads to true knowledge. This means the ability to see what's going on. Love takes the time to listen and pay attention. Love respects and love enjoys respecting the neighbor, the enemy, the other person. And so love can lead to true understanding even of our enemies because it resists the urge to hurry to our opinion. It resists the pride that says, I know you without even knowing you. True love. And we've got to have this if we're going to actually be good for our city, right? We've got to actually look and listen and respect and care. It doesn't mean that we have no view, it, but it means that we hold that posture. Now, sec, the second prayer is that this wise kind of love will result in knowing the difference between real problems and merely surface issues. This is verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That phrase, approve what is excellent, it's very tricky to translate from Greek into English, and it basically means so that you can distinguish things that differ. This is about being able to look beyond the surface of anything where you determine the difference between real problems and merely surface problems. It's fundamental that missionaries do that that missionary churches do that. We need this. A key prayer for us is that through our love for God and his people, we will grow in the discipline of discerning the things that matter and don't matter. Now, just a real quick aside, later on this comes up in the letter and it says, if churches don't do this, churches don't get along. We have to stop thinking that being in different denominations means we can't work together. And to do that, we have to grow in love. And we have to grow in the kind of love that recognizes the difference between us and the Catholic Church or us and the Lutherans or us and the Baptists. That fundamentally, there is only one church in Harrisonburg, the Church of Harrisonburg. And it's the Baptists and the Lutherans and the Anglicans and the Presbyterians and the African-American Pentecostal churches. It is all of the churches who agree on the core. There, if anybody asks you how many churches in Harrisonburg, it's easy math. One, one church, one Lord, one baptism. And it's only when we grow in love that we can see that. And we need to see that because no church will have a missionary encounter with its culture if it's not united with other churches. 
This is critical. And notice the goal of all of this. You will be filled with the fruit of right living. This is the third prayer, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. We'll see this over and over throughout the letter. In the Bible, right thinking leads to right living, not right feeling. Right thinking matters. Feelings matter too, but it's right thinking that brings our feelings into line and leads to right living. As we fill up with love that overflows into seeing the world as it truly is and knowing the difference between real problems and surface issues, we will learn how to live rightly. And where does this all lead? Verse 11, to the glory and praise of God. Everything has to come back to that. The world around us praises all kinds of things, all sorts of other gods, but as Christians, we know that the one God deserves all the praise and all the worship. We are a missionary church in Harrisonburg for the glory of God and the good of the city. To be Christians, to be in our church, is to live our lives for God's glory. Now, I want to conclude by asking you, to do four things this fall. Please write these down. Um, Four things I would like our church to do this fall. Let's call it going to prom so that you can remember it because you didn't write it down. P-R-O-M, prom, pray, read, outline, memorize, all right? I want to ask you to pray for yourself and others and our church and other churches this prayer every day. Pray like Paul prayed. He said, I pray constantly. Here's the problem. Most of us can't do that. Most of us have a habit of praying that might shoot up one in the morning. Then you got a busy day. You got busy work and you get to the end and you're like, oh, there's this whole God part of my life, (laughs) right? Paul had a busy life. He was in jail. He was suffering. How do you become a person that actually prays all the time? I'm so glad you asked. We're starting a Sunday school class on September the 10th that's going to teach you how to pray constantly. There is a way that Paul and Jesus both prayed that led to not forgetting God throughout the day, but led to a constant remembrance of God to become people who can actually say, I constantly pray for you. So I encourage you to pray verses 9 through 11 every day for yourself, for your friends, your neighbors, our church, other churches, that we will... Use the words, just 9 through 11, turn it into a prayer. Number two, read or listen to the entire letter of the Philippians every day. It only takes 12 minutes. 12 minutes for the average reader in America to read through the letter. So what I'm talking about is don't pray when you're reading it. Like don't think, don't reflect, don't study, don't go to, don't go, you know, just read the thing. Sit down and read it. Read it out of different translations or even better, listen to it because that's the way it was written. It was written to be heard. So my wife has fallen in love with this Bible app that um, has all these actors doing the various characters of the Bible. She's addicted to this thing. She's, I'm like, stop it, Janelle. The family, you know, we have to go to the funeral. I've got one more chapter. So... I want to encourage you to read or listen to it. Find a way to do this every day. I mean, don't be illegal. If you miss a day or two of the week, don't jump, you know, don't get upset over it. But just immerse yourself in it. Find a Bible out. Put it, play while you're mowing the grass or going to work or jogging or doing chores around the house. Pray, read, or listen. 
Third, outline the letter. Do your own work to develop your own outline of the letter. This series will mean a lot more to you if you've taken the time and trouble to work through Philippians for yourself and to figure out how it fits and what its themes are. If you don't know how to do this, there's some English teachers in the room. You have English teachers at school. Um, Any of us wearing collars, hopefully we can teach you. Ask somebody, but do it for yourself. Look, if you're a student, if you're an adult. And number four, memorize. I would love for you, for all of us, to memorize the whole letter, which is not a big deal. Um, Most Christians in most times and most places have memorized huge portions of Scripture. It has nothing to do with intelligence. It has to do with time. Now, look, if you're not down for memorizing huge portions of it, just memorize this prayer. Memorize the bit in chapter 2 where he says, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. who consumed. Or the part about at the end that says, don't worry about anything but present it. Like, there's some great passages. Or the part about forgetting what's behind, straining toward what is ahead. There's all these, like, top 10 highlights in Philippians. Memorize them or just work on the whole letter. Work on it a little bit at a time. Prom, pray, read, outline, memorize. And just remember, the main emphasis of Philippians is becoming a church that is a public, visible picture of the gospel. Let's pray.